You come with questions? Yes, Father, Father we... we... You may each ask one question. Gilbert? How old are you? Thirty-eight. Norbert? Uh, why do we wear these things on our shoulders? Because it's the future. Nick, 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 Nick. Nickelodeon. Nick, 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 Nick. Nickelodeon. Good morning, Gut Buckets. This is Big Orange Couch, the 90s Nickelodeon podcast, where we talk about all things 90s Nickelodeon. My name's Joey. I'm Andrew. I'm Jace. And this is episode 180. We're talking our write-in episode um, 25 years later. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of fun with these theme kind of episodes. Yeah. Our, our last one was Summer, which was a bunch of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. We, we've done Chris, uh, Christmas special. We did a Halloween special. But this really, um, I think this requires some inventiveness. Yeah. yeah, the summer. If I could just say, uh, listening to the summer episode, uh, I was so enthralled. Uh, I mean, they were all so fun, but that Pete and Pete episode, I forget. Uh, uh, Andrew, was that you? Or was that Joey? Uh, that was me. That was so much. I, I felt like I was watching uh, Lost episode while I was listening to it. It, it was so <laughs> much fun, and I, that was uh, really what got me. So, I mean, I already enjoyed the podcast. I just had discovered it recently before that. But listening to those really set me off, and I just was like on a massive binge after that episode. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. It's it's it feels very. I'm almost surprised how receptive people have been to write an episode because they feel kind of scary. Yeah, Um, (laughs) you know, like we're we're going to screw up something, but um, it's I'm happy people are having fun with it. And uh, Pete and Pete's a scary one too because you really don't want to screw that up. Well, it's so intimidating. I mean, the, the writing on the show was so, uh, I mean, really went above and beyond. Uh, the idea of, I actually considered that even for this one, the 25 years later, but almost immediately I was like, you know, I don't think I've got the chops for a Pete and Pete 25 years later <laughs> idea. So, Andrew, oh, I don't, you don't have to say it. I, I, now, I'm, now I'm worried Andrew picked Pete and Pete and the pressure is high. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, speaking Speaking of Pete and Pete, uh, they they kind of they did a little uh, fundraiser for the election, which we're recording this before election day. So who the hell knows uh, what? Maybe the country's on fire by this point. But um, they the Pete and Pete cast did a little fundraiser for Pennsylvania Democrats, and I know Andrew, you, both you and I popped in to watch it. What, what did you think? Yeah, uh, I thought it was great. I had just like I was actually surprised by how. Um, strongly i was kind of affected just by witnessing them uh interacting together um it just like felt like really cool i don't don't know yeah just yeah just them like yeah being in the same space was kind of mind-blowing like particularly seeing like toby huss yeah uh, and rick rick gomez who's endless mike i mean it just felt like wow these i don't know it's still it's (laughs) It felt really special. Just Artie like, will uh, save us all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did, it did feel pretty special. Miss Miss Fingerwood seems like she hasn't like aged a day. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so that was that was really fun. Um and hopefully maybe the election made you happy this week and if it didn't hopefully this episode will provide you some much needed uh fictional writing relief. 
Um, <laughs> um, now, Andrew, when we're saying 25 years later, um, did you like stick hard to that 25 years later? Or is this just uh, kind of like an abstract later? I, I really didn't. And I didn't even think about that until just now. But I um, did not go even that far. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Jace? Is, is your episode uh, legit 25 years later? Uh, I kind of approached it from that. Yeah, I kind of figured I might as well go from when the show ended uh, essentially 25 years after that mark, which is pretty close to present day. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Jace, I mean, this is your first time on. We're, we're so appreciative of having you on. Um, oh, thank you. you wh- where, whereabouts are you from? Oh yeah, I live in Northern California. Oh okay, okay, cool. Well, have you been a long time like '90s Nickelodeon fan, or uh, you know, I guess where's your fandom as far as uh, '90s Nick? Absolutely, yeah. I uh, I was born in 1983, and I really just grew up. I mean, just soaked, like just you know, bathed in <laughs> '90s Nickelodeon. I mean, into the early '80s is where I got my my footing with it all uh, being raised on. I mean, TV for me was like a third parent. So jumping right into the early 90s, especially Nicktoons. I mean, this is like the heart of my nostalgia. I've got like a borderline unhealthy, maybe even beyond uh, measure of obsession with the nostalgia of 90s. And the Nickelodeon aspect of it is by and large the biggest part of my memory. And I get to share that with my kids, which is a lot of fun. And even selfishly, when they're not around, I still indulge in this stuff. We were just watching uh, are you afraid of the dark the other night? And you know, after my mm. girls went to bed, I was like, maybe I'll just watch our, our one more, more episode. <laughs> I've been you know, laughing in the dark, which is one of my personal favorites. So, oh, yeah, nice. I mean, I just uh, I, I never grew out of it. As a lot of my friends started to, I just kind of stayed obsessed with it. And you know, finding this podcast and finding so much that the internet has to offer these days, the last you know even 10, 15 years, it's just been unreal. You can find pretty much anything online. Yeah. 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 Would did you have like certain when you were a kid in the 90s did you have certain shows that were a go-to for you like absolutely favorites? Oh yeah, I was uh pretty hooked on Ren and Stimpy uh when that premiered. Uh and it's funny because as much as I remain and I still remain to this day, you know, loving the show and and what it did and all that. I think it's funny. I think there was even a versus episode not not too long, maybe it was a year or two ago that was a I think it was Rocco versus Ren and Stimpy, is that right? Yes, that was, yeah, that was episode, that was real early in the run. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I it's, Again, I've been just sort of binging them all in the last maybe like six months or so, seven months. Uh, but I found that at the time that I listened to that episode, it really got my noodle cooking. And I, I knew like Ren and Stimpy was always my go-to as a kid. Oh, he loves Ren and Stimpy. Jace loves Ren and Stimpy. But it was really after I listened to the arguments being made, I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, what do I think about that? And so I started watching the old Nicktoons and programs again, and I realized just how much my opinions have changed about so many of these shows that I was like, oh, of course, Ren and Stimpy is my favorite Nick show, right? Right? And then I started kind of really uh, rewatching them and found like, oh, you know, I kind of maybe like Rocco a little better. And <laughs> and I was not expecting it, but the real Dark Horse was, I was like, oh, my God, I think Doug is my favorite Nicktoon now. Like it's just so darn wholesome. Like it's just so nice. Yeah, that that's a really easy one to share with your kids. You know, you just pop on any Doug, yeah. big time. Yeah, I you know I, I did find myself. It's weird because um you know we do a '90s Nick podcast, so you would think we're you know pretty heavily into it. And I don't know. 
like Andrew, how often do you find yourself actually watching outside of like the requirement for the podcast? How often do you actually watch Nick? Uh, right now, fairly rarely because just because I'm usually so focused on the next thing we're doing, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I don't stray much further out than that in a given week. Yeah. Yeah. I find the same thing. Um, that like, I, I probably watch less of it now because of the podcast, um, which is weird. But the other night on Halloween, once everything had calmed down, I was like, you know what? I'm watching Are You Afraid of the Dark tonight. Like, I'm not watching it to take notes. I'm not watching it to, you know, find stray observations. And it was, can I ask uh, what episode you watched? Oh boy. What did I watch? Um, an encore of the midnight ride. (laughs) <laughs> I would never. Uh, no, you know what? Like I've really, the more time I've had, uh, the more time I've had with that one, the more uh, I soften on it. Um, oh, I, you know what? Okay. okay. I, I, uh, I, I, I watch super specs. Um, oh, I love nice that episode. Yeah. yeah that I is without super... a doubt the scariest episode for me. <laughs> you think it so? Is. You know, I was only one reason though, if I could share. Yeah. Sorry, a little sidebar. I know this is a little off topic, but that episode at the very end, when those giant eyes are projected above, it's the only episode in the show that to this day still gives me chills because of that moment. These giant eyes set in pitch black when they go all wide when they're recanting the spell. Just this, like, you're like this. I, I feel like I'm a helpless little child, and there's this angry, like, predator looming over me. Like, I, I still to this day, that imagery messes with me hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, ending is just so bleak it might i mean it might be the worst way that any of the characters end up in any episode hmm. the end of stuck in, stuck in that alternate realm yeah yeah i you know I, I i've been kind of notoriously i think a little harder on super specs i i did have fun just kicking back and watching it but i'm still not sure wow. i love it um, oh man <laughs> Just like the the um, concept of it freaked me out as a kid. Like, it's just such a, like, a, I don't know. Like, it's something that, like, maybe I imagined or I th- or when I saw it, it definitely, like, felt uh, really real. Like, these that somebody, that these other people could be around you all the time and you just can't see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, like a I, get it. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I also that's I also scary. checked out the I also checked out the hatching, which you know I'm I'm just a real mm. sucker for. Oh, sure, that's a fun sure. one. Yeah, I watched that with my daughter a couple weeks ago. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, so yeah, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, boy, I never just really watch anymore to enjoy it. It's always like a, a homework assignment. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, you guys are in a unique position there too. Like for me, I, I got to admit, like it's whenever the mood strikes, whenever I've got nothing going on, and I could take a few minutes search online. I mean, like I said, you can find just about anything on you know all sorts of different websites. But man, oh man, sometimes I'm just like I could just really go for just the enthusiasm of Nick Arcade right now, and I'll you know, put something on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that actually sounds good. Yeah, Nick Arcade. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, thanks again, Jace. And th- thanks so much because, uh, you, you had written us and said how much you enjoyed the writing episode 
And I took a risk in asking if you wanted to do one because these are really hard episodes to find people to, you know, most people don't want to write a three or four or five page story or whatever. Um, so uh, we really appreciate you giving this a try with us. Oh, thank you. No, I, I, I'm so honored that you'd invite me to. I just, I hope it's not a stinker. Uh, I'm hoping it works out for you guys. Uh, well, uh, I'm sure it'll been, be great. Yeah, oh, everybody's been really great with these. Like, yeah, uh, it, it makes me still nervous to do them because everybody's been so good. Uh, yeah, no pressure. I, I even think <laughs> I even think back to that first one, right? Like, I think our first one was Keenan and Kel, mm, and yeah. we didn't really know how it was supposed to work, and certainly our guest Bobby didn't. Um, and I remember he just came kind of with a premise, but even still like the premise was so good that it was fun. So like, even if it's not a full story, they've been great. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, uh, why don't we jump into it? Andrew, uh, you're first up and I'm very, you would not spill the beans. I I'll, I'll tell the listeners. I tried to get Andrew to spill the beans on what episode he was going to do. And he was not, he was not, or what show, (laughs) So I'm I'm eagerly awaiting what episode or what show you're going to be doing. Um, it's been a little, you know, I wanted to challenge myself kind of with these to like, see if, see how quickly I can like um, establish what show it is, you know, by yeah. just a line. Uh, so Meaning like just like just picking it quickly and then going for it. No, I mean, like when I like at the very beginning of each of these, I've started like trying to see if I can make that first line or two, like be so evident of what show it is. That, oh, I, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is Wellsville. <laughs> oh, yes. ooh, ooh, ooh. Can I guess? <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Wait, wait, wait. So you can't continue. Uh, wow. You went for it. Yeah. I'm I, too. <laughs> just like as i started thinking about this concept i realized i had like started thinking about this already at some point like maybe we mentioned this in an earlier episode um so i just stuck with it um but i don't know you know you can judge oh this is wellsville you might know it as part of the sideburn state or the last place to stop for gas until the manitoba peninsula but to my brother Pete and me, it's home. As the camera pans past the Fighting Squid Stadium and the Slush Shack, Pete goes on, It's the town where we grew up, from Munson Field to the annual 4th of July fireworks in Throneberry Park. It's the only place I ever wanted to be. But like any other microcosm of the universe, things have changed. A few years ago, Dad went from running the Mighty Bear driving range to owning it, putting Mom to work using the metal plate in her head to scan for illegally modified drivers. And in June of last year, just past the 150-yard marker, with endless mic officiating, Ellen and I got married. Mom and Dad decided decided to move to Glurt County, and as a wedding gift, they left us their house, under the condition that we clear it out ourselves. For the first time in my life, everything was working out perfectly, but as we stepped across the threshold of our new home, nothing could have prepared us for what we would find. Pete walks down into the basement and looks horrified as he sees his brother Pete laughing at the TV and eating cereal in his flannel hat and underwear. <laughs> hey, Molly, strange. You look at 
Today's adventure, growing up, Pete. Wow, yes. <laughs> Love it. Pete, what are you doing here? I live here, chump scrubber. <laughs> Looking at the clock, little Pete says, crud, it's almost 11. He jumps up from amongst a pile of clothes heaped on the couch and plops into a chair behind a glowing console surrounded by boxes and dusty instruments. Pulling the mic up to his mouth, he says, good morning, gut buckets. Time to scrape the crud from your cracks and suck the cheese of another... <laughs> what day is it? Anyway, our guest this morning is a regular caller. He's chief astronomer at the Kreb Observatory, captain of the Wellsville Speedwalkers, and last week he helped me install a new antenna. Give a big wart welcome to Mr. Theodore L. Forsman. Speaking of the antenna, Teddy says, your show is now being broadcast out to the universe. The radio waves are traveling at the speed of light to the furthest reaches of space. Beings from other worlds could be listening to us talk about hubcaps hundreds of years after we're, we're gone. What? You guys didn't know that? <laughs> cool, Pete says. But do you have any interesting scabs? Everywhere Pete and Ellen go, little Pete is there getting in their way and their business until Ellen finally decides we have to do something. We can't raise your adult brother. He has his own parents. You're right, Big Pete says. Something has to be done. First, he tries reasoning with his brother, but his powers of persuasion are useless against Little Pete as he picks the fungus from his toes. So Big Pete decides it's time to call in the big guns. Sitting in the cluttered room across from her son, Mom says, Pete, don't you think it's time to leave the basement? Maybe you could work for the city like your friend Monica. But Pete just tells her, bite me, uh, bite me, Chrome Dome. <laughs> Listen, Pete, this has gone on long enough, Dad says. It's time for you to get out there and get a job. Fine, Pete relents. I'll put on the bear suit. Sorry, Pete, Dad says, but you can't work at the range this year. We were going to wait to tell you, but your mother and I have decided to sell the mighty bear. We're going to use the money to buy an RV and travel the country. Big Pete narrates. Pete hated to admit it, but maybe Dad was right. He had fought the good fight, but even Artie had a day job. Hanging up his hat, little Pete slips into his best ill-fitting suit, steps outside to salute the moss-covered memorial to his Gary, lizard Gary, and hits the streets of Wellsville in search of his new employer. He's sure his unique talents will translate to something useful, but his reputation precedes him, and with each rejection, his enthusiasm fades. Instead of making his last stop at Scotty's house of drought, he trudges home, defeated. When he gets back to the house, he overhears his brother talking to someone in the kitchen. That's right, Mr. Hurley, Big Pete says into the phone. He's going to sell it. It's the perfect spot for the new development. But as little Pete enters the room, he quickly hangs up and says, Uh, hey, how'd the job hunt go? What's this, little Pete asks, snatching a pamphlet off the counter. It's not what it looks like, Big Pete cries. 
IAC Realty. Pete drops the pamphlet. Condos? This is why you wanted me out of the house? But it can't be. Not you. The international adult conspiracy? I didn't want you to find out this way, Big Pete says. But we're not kids anymore. We can't beat them. I have to do what's right for my family. I'm your family, little Pete says. You're betraying <laughs> everything we ever believed in. Look at us. We're wearing suits and going to work. I like going to work, Big Pete says. <laughs> the words are like boring kryptonite to little Pete's ears, causing him to crumple to the ground. Unable to stop his brother from destroying one of Wellsville's natural wonders, little Pete retreats back into his basement lair to nurse his wounds the only way he knows how. Leaning into the mic, he says, Sometimes it feels like life is just one gut punch after another. Things are bad and they're getting worse. It's times like these that we could all use a hero. There aren't many of those left out there. But this one goes out to mine. Artie, I hope wherever you are, all is pipe. Pete takes a call and the person on the other end says, Pete, is that you? The voice sounds familiar and after a confused moment, Pete says, Nona? I've been listening to you whine all morning, she says. So things look bad. That never stopped you before. The Pete I know would never give up so easily. You have to be your own hero. You're right, Pete says. I feel like a sun-baked turd. There's got to be some way to stop him, but we're going to need help. Meanwhile, Ellen is putting the pressure on Big Pete to get his brother out of the house. Between that and working out the specifics of the deal, he hasn't slept for days, and soon he's hallucinating that Ellen is the mighty bear lying next to him in bed. The morning of the signing, out in front of the real mighty bear, Mom and Dad have already changed into their loungewear, and Don is giddy, praising Big Pete for making him so much money. Pete is starting to have second thoughts, but Don is so excited about his retirement that nothing can stop him from moving forward with the deal. Fred Hurley shows up with a contract, and taking out his lucky pen, Don pretends to glance over the details. But just as he goes to sign, an old battered school bus pulls into the lot. Yes. Stu lays on the horn as he wrenches the door open, and Pete climbs <laughs> off. Flanked by a few, of, a few old friends, he grabs Don's pen and throws it out onto the range. <laughs> What's this all about, Pete? Dad asks. Now the head of the Parks Department, Monica, announces, As of 8 o'clock this morning, the mighty bear and its surrounding woods have been issued protective status. On the basis of its diverse wildlife, the land is being considered for state park, state park designation. As such, all commercial activity is hereby prohibited, so that all of Wellsville will have the chance to enjoy its majesty for generations to come. Impossible, Mr. Hurley snarls. You never could have gotten the application through so quickly. Aha! That's where I come in. That's right, it is I, Wayne Pardue, to the rescue. <laughs> As he makes his way across the parking lot, he trips and hurts his knee. Wayne is a lobbyist for the Cream Corn, Creamed Corn Consortium, Monica explains, though I'm still not sure how he pulled this one off. You shouldn't underestimate me, Wayne says. In political circles, I'm known as Wayne the Pain. That's the same thing we call you, Nona points out. Yes, Wayne says, but over in the county legislature, it's a compliment. <laughs> Fred Hurley limps away, laughing like a nervous lunatic, and says, You'll never get away with this. But reaching into his back pocket, little Pete pulls his flannel cap out and yells, Bite my scab, old man. <laughs> Suddenly seeing the error of his ways and his growing resemblance to Mr. Hurley, Big Pete rips off his tie and tells little Pete, I don't know what came over me. I almost made the biggest mistake of my life, but you saved the day. I just have one question. He points to their celebrating friends and asks, what's Clem doing here? Throwing his hands up, Clem says, I just wanted to be part of the adventure. <laughs> Cutting forward 
Big Pete narrates. And so, thanks to my brother Pete, the international adult conspiracy was foiled again. And soon the Mighty Bear Range became the Mighty Bear Park. When word of what Pete did spread around Wellsville, he was a town hero. After that, he finally found a job where he could be himself. The camera cuts to a shot of little Pete dressed in a park uniform, showing lizards to a bunch of little kids. Ellen even agreed to let him stay in the basement, on the condition that he scraped his toe fungus outside. <laughs> after, the, after the sale fell through, Mom and Dad had to scrap their traveling plans. It was weeks before Dad would talk to Pete again, but eventually he found something even he could love. The camera cuts to a small boy wearing a red flannel hat, and Big Pete says, We named him after my brother. Dad yells, Come on, Pete! And he hoists the kid up onto his shoulders as the camera pans back over the Wrigley's, making their way through the park. Wow. The end. Oh my goodness. Very nice. <laughs> oh, that ending. Oh my gosh. That is so heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love I love the new little Pete. Oh, buddy. Oh, Thank that's you. good. Did you say it or did I make it up in my head that the new little Pete is wearing the Pete hat? Yeah, he's wearing the hat. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. Uh, thanks. Yeah, very, very uh, all-encompassing. Look, got all the character. Well, not all the characters, but uh, some of the um, late classics. I love Wayne Pardue making an appearance here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Wayne. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that was terrific. So what would that was called growing up Pete? Yep. Interesting. Um, yeah, interesting. I, I so I'll share them later. I had a bunch of like false start premises when I was doing this. There was like a, there was like 10 different shows I was considering. Um, and Pete wow. and Pete was one, but I, I couldn't bite the bullet on it. It made me too nervous. I um, I kind of thought I was safe that you wouldn't pick it since you did it so recently. But yeah, I was like, man, if he takes this on again, this, <laughs> this is going to be, uh, you know, the pressure is really going to be on. I'd be all for a Pete and Pete double feature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, when I, when I come up with a couple of my summaries, I read my Pete and Pete one to someone and they were just like, are you, you can't do it though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I appreciate you had, you had the guts because yeah. I, I couldn't move forward with it. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, well, Jace, are you ready? Sure. Yeah. Um, if I could just uh, preface it real quick. Um, I wasn't sure uh, your thought process for, you know, joining Andrew, yours going into yours, uh, whichever your chosen you know project was. I know, you know, obviously Pete and Pete there, but I was sitting there for a good long while. I was really scratching my melon uh, when this was first being discussed. Like, what could really work in the format of 25 years later? And the first thought that came to mind was Pete and Pete. But I realized, like I said, I was just too nervous to kind of approach that myself as well. Um, and then I sort of, you know, came to this conclusion of like, okay, what could work that it's like, you know, something kind of unique, but still kind of continues the story in a new way and sort of landed on the show that I chose. And I'd like to give you just a little bit of setup before I start, if that's okay. Yeah. Cool. So we start off with three kids. Ellie, who's age 14, Lamar, who's age 12, and Owen, who is age 9. The three kids are looking worn down and tired, yet determined and focused on their mission. Ellie is the sort of de facto leader and tends to get the group into about as much trouble as she gets them out of. Lamar is the more level-headed one of the group, less humor and more resolve. 
Owen is the youngest, but he tends to prove that he's the smartest and generally the kindest member of their troop. He wants nothing more than a normal life. So you kind of get this sense of these kids kind of coming into it. And uh, again, forgive me, this one is sort of dark. It doesn't quite follow the humor so much that we've enjoyed just now. But uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. (laughs) Intriguing. Ellie, Lamar, and Owen make their way through the dark alleyways in a particularly sketchy-looking part of the city. They keep the shadows, even fearing that the streetlights might betray them to their pursuers. The retention and retrieval team from Radiant Technologies, formerly Paradise Valley Chemical Plant, has been hot on their trail for days now, and the three kids want nothing more than to get out of the open space surrounding them. The traffic of the city is moderate even for the middle of the night. Ellie looks around nervously and pulls Lamar and Owen back behind a dumpster as the sirens of a passing R&R squad van go flying by on the main road. Ellie sighs in relief. Ah, jeez, they're out in force tonight, aren't they? Lamar puts his fingers to his lips, trying to quiet her as his eyes grow wide as he hears distant footsteps. He He puts his hands out in front of him, and a large sheet of plywood flies over to them quickly and quietly to cover them. Just as it settles into place, a squad of R&R soldiers pass by the alley on the main street. One pauses momentarily and glances swiftly into the alley, but then signals the others onward as they continue their brisk pace past the kids, unaware of their presence. Lamar looks at the others for a moment and says quietly, All right, I think that's the last of them for now. Let's keep moving. Ellie shakes her head and gives Lamar a scowl. Ellie, they wouldn't have seen us, you know. You don't always have to be Mr. Hero, Lamar. Lamar says, Ellie, now's just not the time. Let's just find her and get this all over with. Then you can be as bossy and tough as you want, okay? Ellie gets ready to respond with some fury, but Owen steps in between them. Owen, looking worried, says, Come on, the longer we stay here, the more likely they are to find us and bring us right back to the lab. Please, guys, I'm scared. I'm tired. I know you are too, but this isn't helping. It's not far. The signal's close. I can sense it. A faint glow surrounds Owen's head for a moment, then recedes. Shouldn't be more than another block maybe too south of here. Lamar gives Ellie a look of surrender. Ellie's expression softens, and she gives him a small nod in return. Ellie. Okay, Owen, lead the way. You're the one tracking her. It's the only map we've got, so we're following you here. I'll feel a lot more comfortable once we're not out in the open anymore. The three kids duck out from behind the plywood and dumpsters and continue swiftly on their way. Owen leads them through the back streets until they reach an old boarded-up warehouse with a condemned sign hanging on the chain front doors. Lamar and Ellie look at Owen with a confused expression. Owen just shrugs, looking unsure as well. Without saying a word, 
Ellie puts a hand on the chains that lock the entrance, and the chains begin to glow. The metal begins to melt and fall off. She opens the door and enters while the other two follow closely behind. The building is empty, save for a few dusty wooden crates and some old rusty tools. Ellie to Owen. Are you sure this is the place? There's nothing here. That honk of yours on the fritz or something? Owen. I don't think so. I can only sense the location of another enhanced if they're not too far away, and the ping I'm getting says she's here. Can she turn invisible? Is that one of her powers? Lamar. I don't think so. From the stories I've heard, she's got a lot of abilities. Let's keep our eyes peeled, okay? The three kids look around the barely lit cavernous space, blue light and stream lamps spilling in through the cracks in the boarded up windows. After a few moments, Ellie calls the other two over. She points to the ground and sees a latch on the floor that appears to be a trap door. She and Lamar lift the door and find a ladder that descends down to a lower level. The three of them climb down and see some faint light coming through a narrow corridor. Around the bend, they find a room with a computer station set at a rickety table, a chair set against it, a mat on the ground with a sleeping bag and a pillow, a duffel bag with some clothes spilled out from the opening, and some wooden crates and coolers scattered haphazardly. The three cautiously enter the room. Ellie walks toward the computer station. There's a fair assortment of technology, all powered on and running, as well as some kind of light attached to the ceiling, giving the room its illumination. The computer screen shows a map of Paradise Valley, with several markers pointing to multiple locations around the town, mostly residential areas. Ellie smiles, and then looks at the others. Wow, check out the bootleg Batcave. She's gotta be here. Suddenly, menacing lightning bolts shoot by them, originating from off-screen. The three kids duck and lunge out of the way, barely avoiding getting zapped. With wide, fearful eyes, they turn to face their assailant and find Alex Mack standing in an offensive <laughs> posture, her yeah. hands and fists glowing brightly, and a very angry look on her face. <laughs> she's in her 40s now, and time has not been kind to her. She's aged more than just 25 conventional years should have done to a person. Her wrinkles run deep, her clothes are dirty, her skin scarred and malnourished, her eyes betray an energy akin to a cornered animal, fearful and ready to fight to defend itself. Damn. With a clenched jaw, she asks... Who are you? What are you doing here? How did you find me? And what do you want? The kids put up their hands and surrender. Ellie rises slowly to answer. Okay, that's a lot of questions. All good questions for sure. I'll just take them in order if that's okay with you. Alex doesn't budge, her hands still glowing, her jaw and stern stare unwavering. Ellie, taking her silence as permission to respond, nods. I'm Ellie. The tall fellow over there is Lamar, and the young is Owen. We're the last surviving test subjects from Radiant Technologies. Uh, sorry, you probably know them as Paradise Valley Chemical Plant? Alex, almost interrupting Allie with a steely tone of hate in her voice, responds, Yeah, I know who they are. Ellie, yeah, okay. So, after Radiant Technologies bought out the remains of the chemical plant and couldn't lock you down to figure out the combo for GC-161 Superpower Serum, you know, after you went all on the lamb, they started rounding up any kids who wouldn't be missed and started loading us up with their best guesses, like a genetic fast food restaurant combo meal, and crossed their fingers while folks kicked the bucket left and right. It was a pretty grim situation. They were trying to crack a safe combination by throwing darts at a spinning wheel, you know? I guess we were all pretty expendable for the, the suits and the skirts, dollar signs in their eyes, superpowers on their minds and all that. Well, the three of us were the only ones that survived those trials. We managed to escape the detention wing by the skin of our teeth. <laughs> Ironically, we only made it out of that place mostly because of the powers we got from being their guinea pigs in the first place. 
their first batch of enhanced individuals to do the whole not dying thing. I mean, present company excluded, of course. I can generate a wicked heat from my hands, Lamar can move objects with his mind, and Omar can sense when another souped-up action hero wannabe is close by. Our little truffle-hunting piglet, you know? Well, that's how we found you, mostly. We've been trying to find you for a good little while now. Alex, your just being here is putting us all in a lot of danger. And I still don't know what you want with me, but I'll tell you this right now. I'm not your mother, I'm not your friend, and I am not your savior. I've been hunted by these maniacs most of my life, and whatever you think you can get from me, you can't. I suggest you leave the way you came in and don't come back. Alex's hands glow more brightly. Ellie quickly comes back with a more sympathetic tone. I don't know what you've been through, but we've all heard stories of the fabled Alex Mack. The first one with the powers, you know, powers with an S. See, we only have one ability each. But you've got lots, yeah? We want to stop these guys, and we can't do it alone. If we go public, they'll lock us right back up and play Connect Four with our DNA. They've got every major branch of industry and government in their pocket, and we wouldn't stand a chance. That's why we searched you out. The only folks who aren't owned by Radiant can only help us if we have some kind of proof to pin on them. Alex, I don't care. You can't beat them, and if you try, they'll destroy everything you love. You think things can't get worse? This was over before it began. You have no idea what I've lost, what I could still lose. Why do you think I've been on the run all these years? You think I'm afraid of what they'll do to me? At this point, I could care less. I wish I'd just taken that serum my dad made to get rid of my powers 25 years ago. But I knew even then that without my powers, I'd be helpless to stand up against anyone who might come after me. Even though I thought it was over, I knew I still had to be cautious. I thought I'd be safe once the plant was destroyed and Daniel Atron was arrested. But once Radiant took over the company, things got so much worse. Alex recants the events that transpired 25 years ago with a narrated flashback. Radiant Technologies wasted no time in taking over the plant. They recovered as much data as they could about GC-161 and knew almost immediately that I was the kid who held the key to unlocking its incredible potential. Their retention and retrieval squad broke down my front door one night. We were in the middle of having dinner. They swarmed in and incapacitated my parents and my sister. I didn't know what to do, so I just ran. I used every power I had to get away. I knew that if I stayed, they'd capture me. And that if my family knew where I was, Radiant would use them to get to me. If they got a hold of me, they'd rip apart my DNA strand by strand and sell the compound to the highest bidder, endangering the world with powers used for all kinds of horrible purposes. So I couldn't give myself up. But then if I didn't surrender, I'd be putting the safety of my friends and family in jeopardy by having any connection with them at all. It was my loved ones or the world. So I chose the world. Flashback narration ends and we're back to Alex in her offensive posture and still glowing brightly, scowling at the kids in front of her. I haven't seen them in decades for their own safety. I sit behind a computer screen and keep tabs on them just to make sure they're safe like some creepy cyber stalker and try to stay mobile enough that no one finds me. Not my family, not my friends, not Radiant, and certainly not some trio of super friend wannabes looking to stop the bad guys. They can't be stopped. Give up before you hurt yourselves or the ones you care about and try to live some kind of semblance of a life. Or don't, it's your call. Just do it somewhere else. Owen steps in. But that's how we found you, your sister Annie. Alex looks surprised and scared at the mere mention of her name, like a prick to her heart after so long without a true familiar connection. Alex's face quickly turns back to anger and her hands glow brighter as she shouts, Do you realize you could have sent the r, &R right back to her by seeking her out? Owen responds, She found us. 
Before we left town to figure out what to do next, she tracked us to where we were hiding out. She said that we were the only chance of stopping Radiant. With evidence from the inside of the headquarters, it was the only thing that we could do to stop them, and we could only do it with you. Your help is what we need. She said she's been trying to track you down this whole time, too. It was her leads that sent us here. You know, she's pretty smart. Owen narrates his own flashback with Annie. She knew why you felt like you had to hide yourself away, that she didn't blame you for what happened. She misses you, and wants you safe and back home too, but wanted you to make the decision for yourself, to respect your wishes, to try and help from afar if you need her. She said she loves you, and she wants this nightmare to be over for you, not for her. She's just as worried about you as you are about her. End flashback. She loves you, Alex. This isn't the life that was meant for you. It doesn't have to be the future for any of us either. Please, Alex. You don't have to be alone anymore. We can do this together. Alex's hands stop glowing. Tears start rolling down her face and her posture relaxes. She takes a deep breath to compose herself. Ellie, hands still up in the air. So, I guess that kind of covers the whole who are we and what do we want portion of questioning, yeah? So, what do you say, Miss Mac? Alex, breathing weakly. I, I can't help you. I... I... Alex collapses on the floor. She's unconscious. The three kids stand there staring downward with wide-eyed surprise. Lamar speaks up with shock on his face. Oh my god, we killed her. <laughs> Owen rushes over to Alex with a faint glow around his head, and he says, No, she's weak, but she's okay. Something's going on with her powers. I, I can sense it. Lamar and Ellie carry Alex back to her sleeping bag and place her gently on it. Alex slowly opens her eyes. Ellie chimes in. You okay, Wonder Woman? Your hands went from glow stick to lead brick pretty fast there, and you zonked out for a minute. You need a Snickers bar or something? Lamar nudges Ellie with her shoulder with a disapproving glance. Alex starts to regain her strength. No, it's my powers. I don't know exactly, but they've grown unstable over the years. I haven't had to fire off my energy like that in a long time. Charging so much of it for so long wasn't as easy as it used to be. Alex gets a little of her embarrassed glow for a few moments, and the kids pretend not to notice until it's passed. They've changed. My powers, I mean. I've still got them all, I think. But when I use them, they tend to activate a lot faster and a lot harsher than I mean for them to. Sometimes it's harder for me to deactivate them as well. I have to be careful not to overdo it. Lamar speaks up. Or else you pass out like that? Alex. No, no, that was just from cutting the charge to my hands as fast as I could. When I did that, I passed out as a side effect. If the energy builds up like that where I can't stop it, I'm worried it'll keep growing and result in some kind of cataclysmic reaction. I don't want to hurt myself or anyone else by losing control. Ellie. For real? You do the big kaboom if you get too worked up? Alex. I don't know, but I think so. And I'm not going to risk finding out. It's not like I need to use my powers anymore. As long as I keep quiet and stay hidden down here, then it doesn't really matter anyway. Ellie. Maybe it didn't before, but there's a real reason for you to come out of your fancy retirement here. Annie gave us plans for a heist, and it only works with you on our team. We get in, we get the hard evidence that proves Radiant Technologies is lousy with malfeasance, get it to the right people, we all get our lives back. Lamar. Look, we don't want anyone else to get hurt either. But that's why we need to do this, so Radiant doesn't hurt anyone else. They'll keep testing GC-161 on innocent people, and those poor folk aside, eventually they'll crack the compound, and they will use those powers in really bad ways. Like you said, save the world and all that, right? Alex. With my powers getting less controlled by the day, and 
well, let's face it, you three with the limited experience and powers you have, I just don't know if we've got what it takes to infiltrate their headquarters and extract any incriminating evidence. It'll take more than what we've got. Ellie. Hey, we managed to track you down, didn't we? We can hang back here for a few days and hone our skills under your tutelage. You get yours back in shape and we'll be ready to take on the forces of evil or whatever. Owen. Alex, if your powers are getting more and more unstable, for years you said? This could be getting worse. By doing nothing, you might be allowing this degradation to increase. I can sense the compound growing less stable within your genetic structure. It's just something I can decipher whether I want to or not. And without some kind of fix for it, Alex, I don't know how long you've got to try. Lamar. Truth is, there's no one else that can do this. Just us. We can't do this without you. Alex stands up, looks at her hands, which glow for a moment, then return back to normal. She looks up at the three kids standing expectantly before her, takes a deep, long breath, and says, I just know I'm going to regret this. The three kids shout out in celebration, and Alex shushes them quickly. Hey, don't forget, those R&R cronies are still up there. Let's not make finding us too easy for them, okay? The kids give her a smile and a thumbs up for approval. They begin to discuss their plans and begin their training to hone their abilities and to help Alex get her powers back on track as well, as they prepare to return to Paradise Valley and stop radiant technologies once and for all. And that is called The Hunted World of Alex Mack. Ooh. Wow. That was like way beyond what I could do. Like, uh, that was just, a, that was a, like a, a whole new brand of Alex Mack. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking, you know, kind of going in a grimmer direction. Like, what if it's 25 years later and things haven't been so good for her? Yeah. yeah. That sounds like a legitimate reboot of the show. Like, oh, all things happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, oh, thanks, buddy. I like the kind of like darker, uh, like slightly darker world where it's like things have gone bad at some point. Like it almost feel, it reminds me of um, uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator mm-hmm. Two a little bit. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Like how she turned out. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was sitting here thinking a little John Wick, like Alex uh, Mack with like, yeah, I'm thinking I might be back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Cool, thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, I also like the uh, powers degrading. Um, yeah. Like, something's going wrong. Like, we already have a hint of things to come. Um, oh, thanks. And, and like, the other kids' powers. Like, that's a great uh, addition. Um, yeah, man. It was really cool. Thanks. Yeah, really that was great. fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun to hear. Um, what, what was the episode called again? One more time. The Hunted World of Alex Mack. Like The Hunted? Yes, Hunted. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. At, at first I thought I, you said Haunted. I'm like, well. Oh. <laughs> <Super> <laughs> it spooky. didn't seem that scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, cool. Well, um, like I said, I, I, I had come up with a bunch of ideas, and I was kind of like really juggling around. I, I ended up going with maybe my most straightforward idea, I guess. Um, but if you're interested, stay tuned after my story and I'll share some of the other premises. Uh, but um, I am, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'll just say off the top here, cause this show doesn't do like a thing where, you know, there's like a title card. I don't think they do. Maybe I'm wrong, but, um, so this episode is called, if you guys want to guess what the show is, this episode is called get along little doggy. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. 
That's right. Yeah, it's a little a little hey dude action. Um, all right. So yeah, this episode's called "Get Along, Little Doggy," and uh, here we go. We begin at the customer counter of the Dude Ranch. It looks dusty and old, not well taken care of or modern by any standard. Two customers in southwestern attire stand at the counter, annoyed and ringing the service bell. Hello? Y'all y'all there? Hello? Finally, a slightly overweight man in his early 40s stumbles out. He looks disheveled and beaten down with a five o'clock shadow and a dirty Mets hat atop his sad head. We see a close-up on his... Uh, we see a close-up on his two shirt badges. One reads manager, and the other reads Buddy Ernst. Mister, we've been standing out here for ten minutes waiting to check out, the man says angrily. I wouldn't recommend this ranch to anyone. The housing was old and dusty, the facilities dirty, and the customer service lacking. I do, Buddy pauses. I do, uh, then Buddy, then Buddy makes a strange face and lets out a loud belch. Uh, I do apologize, sir. The guests are disgusted, slam their keys down, and storm out. Buddy picks up the keys and says, Huh, I thought we lost these. Buddy shrugs, yawns, and heads to the back room, and we cut to that iconic theme song. (laughs) It's a little wild and a little strange. Start your horse and come along But you can't get it right if you can't hold on Sing it Yippee-ti-yay-yay Yippee-ti-yay-what? Like the cowboys say Sing it again now Yippee-ti-yay-yay Get along, little doggies Till the break of day Better watch out for those man-eating jackrabbits And that killer cacti Hey We come back. We get a panning shot of the Dude Ranch, but instead of it being bustling with guests and workers, it looks almost abandoned. A tumbleweed blows through the shot. We see two lone figures working the stables and cleaning the horses. We get a closer look and see that it's Danny, who now looks like he's in his late 40s, but looks as dignified and youthful as ever. (laughs) And alongside him, Lucy, now in her 60s, but as gruff and spirited as ever. Danny stops brushing and stares off. Lucy nudges him. What's on your mind there, Danny? Danny sighs. Just remembering what this place was once like, the fun we had here, the energy of the ranch, he sighs. Ever since Mr. Ernst left and Buddy took over, well... I know, says Lucy. It's not the same. And at this rate, with two or three guests a week, it's destined to close. He looks at her. We can't let that happen. But what can we do, she says. Buddy rather take naps than promote the ranch. Danny looks stumped. Maybe the horses will grow wings and people will be interested, he chuckles. Lucy (laughs) pretends to check the horses for wings. Nope, not yet. Just then we hear loud beeping in the distance. Danny and Lucy look up. Looks like there's three cars headed this way, but we don't have any reservations this week, do we? Nope, says Lucy. Or nope, says Danny. Must be our lucky day, then Lucy replies. From all the noise, we see Buddy stumble out of the visitor center, squinting from the sun. What in good heavens is going on? He yells over to Lucy and Danny. They reply they don't know. The cars pull up and stop suddenly, screeching. There's a pregnant pause as we wait to see who's going to get out. Danny looks over to Lucy. Come on, let's greet the guests, he says excitedly. 
Just then a minivan door swings open. Home sweet home. I'm back, baby. We hear, but we don't see who says it. We just see Danny's face, which looks stunned. Then Buddy mutters, oh no, it can't be. We see a man who then says, back from the Ted. Am I right, everyone? <laughs> it's, our, <laughs> it's our old pal Ted. We then see three kids file out of the van, all wearing tie-dye shirts. Kids, this is the place Daddy built with his bare hands. I'm famous here. Then another driver gets out of their car. It's a beautiful older woman, but Danny knows her immediately. He drops, a, he drops his bucket and runs over and hugs her. Melody, he yells. I can't believe it. She laughs and greets him. Ted smugly says, well, I didn't get a hug. As Lucy comes over and pats Ted on the back. Hiya, Ted. One free hug coming up as they embrace laughing. Finally, we see the last person get out of their car. It's a woman. She's quiet and she looks at the ranch. We immediately register that she's dismayed by the shape that the ranch is in. Buddy walks over to her. Hey there, Brad. She looks over, gives a slight smile, and then a hug. Hey, bud. Buddy reads her expression. Yeah, I know. It's not what it once was. He is immediately cut off by Ted, who yells, Back together at last! Who's ready for who's ready for some dude ranch fun? His kids yell approvingly. As they gather, Danny asks what they're all doing there. Melody says, Well, we got to talking over email, and we thought it would be so much fun to come back and see the place and surprise you guys. Aw, we're so thrilled, says Lucy. Danny beams. I can't believe it. It's so good to see you guys. A kid tugs on Danny's shirt. What about us? Danny bends down. Well, of course. You're the most special guest of all. Say, are you little Ted? A little girl walks up. I'm little Ted. The boy says his name is Ben, and the other girl introduces herself as Lucy. Lucy looks stunned, like she's going to cry. Ted pats her on the back. Named her after my hero, Luce. Melody says, Ted missed the memo on it being a kids-free weekend. No families. Ted looks over. Oh, really? My bad. Ted, Ted, uh, Ted's kids look eager. Dad, can we find a bunk? Buddy pipes up. Of course, hurry, go, go, find the best one. Ted asks if they'll disturb any of the guests. Buddy chuckles. What guests? Danny goes on. We're so glad to see you guys, but things are different. We don't draw like we used to. We can really only afford to keep the three of us on. Lucy laughs. You mean you're getting paid? <laughs> it fades It fades to Ted walking around with his kids. He points out all the spots on the ranch where he has done legendary things, his kids ooing and eyeing over their dad's legendary status. It then fades to Danny, Ted, Mel, and Brad riding around the grounds on horses. We see them laughing and talking. Brad says, you, you think you'd remember how beautiful it is here, but you really forget. Danny smiles. It's why I felt I could never leave. The dude ranch feels like home. I've put so much of myself into it that it feels part of me. The thing is, I just don't know how to help save it. Ted says, maybe blow it up with a bomb. It might look more presentable. Melody tells <laughs> Melody tells Ted to shut it. Brad, maybe we could help. Danny says, no, you all have lives now. Families, jobs. I can't expect you to come back and help. Not come back, Brad says, but... Instead of a trip down memory lane this week, maybe we could pitch in and help save the dude ranch. Get her hands dirty. Melody agrees that she'd love to help. She doesn't want the dude ranch to close either. Plus, Ted says, I brought three free laborers. I'm pretty sure they know how to dust and sweep. Danny says, you guys would really do that? 
What are friends for? Says Brad. We cut and it's filmed like a military style type movie where everybody is lined up, standing straight and waiting for their task. First Danny had first Danny hands little Ted Jr. a dust spray can. Little Lucy a dust rag and little Ben a broom. He wheels over Ted a cart full of paint cans and brushes. He hands Brad a screwdriver gun and nails. And Melody a cart full of cacti, flowers, and shovel. Lucy is handed a new signs uh, for the ranch and a hammer. It pans to Buddy who is asleep in a lawn chair. Danny kicks him and hands him a mop and bucket. We then see an energetic montage of everyone working. Even Buddy is working hard. We see paint being a, new paint being applied, new signs, clean floors, the kids wiping down windows and cobwebs. We see Melody on her phone making the Dude Ranch a new Instagram account. The followers number is seen going up um, after she posts some beautiful pictures of the Dude Ranch overlaid with shots of people working. Danny is changing out all of the old bed sheets and couch cushions and putting in modern fresh ones. The place slowly starts to look fresh and clean. It fades to them plopping down in the dining hall. Lucy has cooked up some beans, mashed potatoes, and meat for them. Buddy stands and gives a toast. He clears his throat. It's been a long few days of fixing this place up, which I know is my fault, but I can honestly say that I'm so proud to have friends and family like you. Just like 20-some years ago, you guys have always been the lifeblood of this ranch, and you've given it life again. They cheer. Let's eat. And then we see a sequence of each person around the table telling a story to the kids. Buddy talks about how his dad wrestled a professional wrestler as Killer Ernst. <laughs> Melody talks about how a TV star once came to the ranch and she wanted to marry him. Brad talks about the battle of the sexes between her and Melody and Ted and Danny. Ted talks about how everyone pitched in to help him get the John Wayne saddle. <laughs> Lucy talks about cleaning up the mess Mr. Ernst got into every week. Danny talks about falling off a ladder and almost killing himself, or when they created the first ever Living Desert Museum. They all laugh. Melody, maybe we should try to bring back that Living Desert Museum. It was a hit. Ted's kids say they would love they would love it at the ranch, and Lucy offers to take them on a horseback ride the next day. We cut to the next day, and Lucy and the kids are riding on horseback. We see the cars and their trunks open with bags waiting to go inside. The, the adults start packing up the cars and Lucy helps the kids off their horses. Buddy comes out and asks if he could see them in the visitor center one time before they leave. They all walk in and, and they see balloons everywhere and streamers and brand new frame pictures around the ranch of the old days from the 90s. The gang are stunned and ooing and eyeing. Melody says, Buddy, did you do all this? He smirks and says, yeah. Ted says, what's the occasion, old buddy? I've done a lot of thinking, Buddy says. This place, well, I never wanted to come to this place when my dad moved us here. I resented it. I thought it was boring and dull, and then I met you guys. I met my family, my real family, and it became home. When my dad moved back to New York to retire, well, I knew I had to do my best to keep it going. But I only realize now that it was never me. It was you guys. It was Danny and Lucy. They smile at him. I've made a decision. Buddy puts on his dirty Mets hat. He announces that he's moving back to New York to take care of old Ben Ernst and that he's decided to leave the ranch in Danny's hands. Danny, you've always been the true heart of the ranch. You too, Lucy. 
I know that without you two, this place would have closed a decade ago. So I'm leaving it to you because it was always yours. Buddy hands them the badge that says manager on it and the main key to Lucy. The group cheers and gives hugs. The group leaves the visitor center to say goodbye and get in their cars. Ted's kids tell Danny and Lucy that dad said they could come back next summer to help work. Lucy says that she can't wait and hopefully next summer it will be more booming. Buddy comes out, throws two bags in Mel's car and explains that Melody offered to give him a ride back east. Danny and Lucy thank Buddy again and after a long embrace, the crew hop in their cars and take down take off down the dirt road. As they leave, we see a few cars headed for the ranch. It looks like business is back. Lucy puts her arm around Danny and says, Well, if we're going to run this place, we better watch out for those man-eating jackrabbits and those killer cacti. <laughs> Danny smiles at her as the sun is high in the sky, and we crane, it cranes out to see them standing together happily on the dude ranch in the middle of the desert as, car, as cars pool in. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a happy ending. I love that. <laughs> um, man, that really felt like where those characters would be. Uh, especially Danny and Lucy being the ones that are um, running the park, kind of. Yeah. Uh, or the ranch. Um, and uh, I really liked the ageless Danny. Like, that yeah. seemed really appropriate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was a big part of the thinking of like, man, it, it just feels like Danny and Lucy are, were even in the original run, like this place would have fallen apart without those two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of a starting point. Yeah, yeah some great thought into that. Yeah. Um, I I think my favorite part might have been the build up to Buddy, to like seeing Buddy. Uh, <laughs> being the way he is now and, and oh that was fun that just Absolutely. cracked me up that was yeah. funny <laughs> yeah yeah i i uh I, I was like i wrote it and i was like i don't know if this is good enough it feels like kind of nothing's happening but i thought like that's kind of hey dude like it's simultaneously <laughs> yeah. like something's happening while like it also feels like nothing's happening yeah it felt very <laughs> appropriate for it hey dude uh and i especially liked just thinking of like, it seemed right that the ranch was, like, run down by this point. Like, they had just gotten too tired to keep it up, kind of. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but Ben Ernst leaves and the whole thing just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good. Cool, thanks. Um, I did mention I had some other ideas. Do you guys want to hear my false starts? Oh, yeah. Some Absolutely, of them, yeah. <laughs> some of them more false than others. <laughs> Um, so I did, I mentioned that I came up with a Pete and Pete idea. Um, the story would have been called a Vikings return. Um, and the, the summary is big Pete who still lives in Wellsville in a duplex with endless Mike calls little Pete. He stumbles upon Artie working in a new cell phone store in Wellsville. However, Artie has no memory of little Pete or his past strongest man status. (laughs) Little Pete, Nona, and Clem all return to refresh Artie's memory, only to find that you can't always get back what you once had, uh, including the occurrences of finding Mr. Tacey's cart abandoned and the phone booth in shambles. Oh, my God. Jeez, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> wow. I don't know if I would have made it through that, man. <laughs> um, the one I started writing, but I kind of gave up because I'd already finished Hey Dude. And I'm like, you know what? I just don't have the energy. <laughs> Um, I did a sequel 
I came up with a premise for a sequel to the Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, The Tale of Midnight Madness, oh. which would be called The Tale of 3D Madness. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, okay. which is Mr. or Dr. Vink has stumbled upon 3D, the 3D movie craze. The theater has had a dip in attendance and is determined to recapture the public's interest. His movies are restless and seek a place in the modern world. The 3D glasses distort what is just on the screen and what has actually become reality, unleashing several horrifying monsters on the theater, its patrons, and employees. Wow. Yeah, that sounds pretty idea. good. <laughs> I gotta say, actually, I totally tussled, too, with thinking, like, I, like Are You Afraid of the Dark would be a lot of fun, but yeah. I kind of feel like, I guess, would it be a new Midnight Society? Or if I did yeah. a sequel story, maybe, like, you know, Laughing in the Dark Part 2 sort of thing, it'd be sort of just more of a continuation not so much a 25 years later kind of situation so i felt like i couldn't do that just you know based on the honor of the you know, the trust of the what we were doing but <laughs> yeah. man i was so tempted that was really tempting to do that i, I started sketching that one out and i decided just uh, i don't know did you watch the mini series last year jace uh, which one they, they they had like a new three-part mini oh the new are you afraid of the dark i'm sorry yeah absolutely yeah my daughter and i loved it oh cool cool, cool. Yeah, I, I thought I was, I was like I, when I started writing it, I just used the New Midnight Society and I had them on a Zoom. Um, oh, but I you just clever son of a gun. That is a cool <laughs> idea. But I couldn't quite I couldn't quite work it out in time, so I abandoned that one. Um, I did have the idea for fifteen, which would have just been called 20 fe- 25 year reunion. Uh, the summary is the graduates of Hillside have returned for their 20th, 25th class reunion and shit absolutely hits the fan as they let out all of their baggage. <laughs> I guess you could have called it 40, but you know, I like oh, <laughs> 25 that years would have later. Been per- <laughs> 40. <laughs> That's good. Um, I had one for Shelby Wu, um, oh, wow. which, which was called yeah. the, the Coco Mare Mystery. Um, Shelby Wu is now the head of the FBI in Washington, D.C., but she receives a call from her hometown PD saying they can't they can't figure out where the missing mayor of Cocoa Beach, Florida, has gone. Shelby returns home to investigate. She discovers that the mayor was a false creation of a secret underground group called the Nolan Void. The imagery of the mayor live or on video had been a hologram fabricated by pre-programmed and pre-programmed to say what bots programmed the mayor to say. <laughs> I gotta say, I was not much of a fan of the Mystery Files of Shelby. I know it's a real, you know, hot take right there, but <laughs> this I would watch. That I would really love to watch. Shelby and the FBI still uh, like handling local problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a fun idea. Um, this one I abandoned because I realized they had done one, maybe kind of like it, but uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. The episode would have been called Pineapple for Sale. Um, and uh, it's Spongebob has decided to put up his pineapple home for sale as moving day approaches Spongebob sentimentally recalls all of his memories at the house eventually he gets an offer he can't refuse um, and it turns out to be Squidward as the blind buyer who simply wants Spongebob out of the neighborhood relieved (laughs) (laughs) relieved uh, Squidward settles in only to find out that Spongebob's newest home was still right next door as he's only moving in with Patrick (laughs) that sounds like almost like if you would have laid that out as being a real episode already I probably would have believed it (laughs) yeah absolutely that's fun too and then the last one have you ever said how old Spongebob is exactly in the show I don't think so 
And that, and that was another thing I was thinking. I'm like, there's no evidence here that this would have been 25 years later because there's just like no age to the characters. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you give like SpongeBob a beard or something. A yeah, sweet yeah. goatee or something. Yeah. <laughs> the goatee. Yeah. That's the aging system. It's depending on how much facial hair you have. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then the last one I had, which is maybe my most outrageous, uh, is Wienerville. And it's, <laughs> it's Ding Dong, Wienerville's Dead. Um, so, um, this one is Mark. Mark returns um, from a 25-year vacation to find all the Wienerville heads dead, only to re- <laughs> only to realize he had locked the door behind him, trapping them in the studio. <laughs> when somebody ac- <laughs> when somebody accidentally stumbles into the studio and sees all the dead citizens of Wienerville, they call the cops. A police, a police Mark shows up to investigate as Mark tries to sh- uh, throw them off the scent. <laughs> Ultimately, Mark is arrested for crimes against Wienerville. We see him behind bars in the form of one of the Wienerville people. Oh man! Oh man! Only I mean, if you play that like geez. total straight man, like like a total like like, C, like CSI style like cop show. Oh my god, that is too funny. Yeah. <laughs> Mark coming to arrest Mark. Yeah. About the greatest thing ever. Oh my god, that is amazing. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's great. So those were some of my other false starts. Uh, Well, that was a a bunch of fun. I I loved it. Yeah. I, I, um, like, I loved just kind of like the chances you took with uh, Pete and Pete. And with Alex Mack, just like revision, kind of like, kind of like what they did with Are You Afraid of the Dark last year of just kind of like a holy, a whole new mm-hmm. vision, even though it's yeah. still like the core idea is the same. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Really fun ones. Yeah. Uh, it was fun stuff. Um, well, before we wrap up, we had one, uh, we have, well, we have a bunch of emails, but we'll read one here. Um, this one's from our buddy Jacob and it is, uh, my tale of badge thoughts. Um, he says, Dear Trevor and Willie, courageous you guys are. Review the tale of the badge I would not. A stinker it is. Exaggerating, I am not. Giving me a headache writing like this is. Okay, that got old fast. Um, I have badge in my top five worst Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes list, and I think it deserves its place. Every time I attempt to watch it, I begin suffering from a rare 90s Nick condition called Setterwind Syndrome, where I can't help but stare off into space while the episode plays. It's that mind-numbing. It's that mind-numbing. During my prep for this letter, it literally took me three rewatches to absorb enough info from this episode to fully understand why I disliked it. Your conversations with Vaughn about hilariously bad episodes versus forgettable ones were interesting. The tale of Badge is certainly hilariously bad, but I think for the most part, it's just plain bad. I'd even say that there are some genuinely decent moments in there too, which adds to my frustration. Take Badge's epic entrance, for instance. He's in your face with his demonic, lemur-like features on display, and it's heart-stopping. Then one scene later, there goes whiny Trevor being hilariously dragged into the netherworld in such an awkwardly pathetic fashion. The story's quality turns on a dime often, being constantly at war with itself. 
Seriously, you should re-watch that Trevor scene. It honestly looks like he's doing a little jig in reverse to the beat of a fun party song only he can hear. Despite enjoying your plot analysis, I think you guys probably looked a little too deep into this tale. There's really not much there's really nothing much here. Girl meets Badge, Badge wants a different girl, girl discovers her true self, Badge is sucked into girl's box. I know you know typical rom-com stuff. It's just told in a way that's so incoherent it seems more interesting and complex than it actually is. The only plot development that was actually intriguing was the one that occurred during the phone call scene between Diane and Gwen. According to Diane, some guy named Brian brought someone called Sally Smith to the party Gwen was missing out on. Who were Brian and Sally? I want to know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird that the story is kind of open-ended, too, with Willie hinting at more adventures to come as Gwen begins to learn more magic. Do you think this tale was su- uh, supposed to be a backdoor pilot? Vaughn was right. 25 years later. (laughs) Vaughn was right. Please interview the writer. I want to know if this episode was meant to be a spinoff TV show. Maybe to compete against Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Given how lazily generic all the fantasy stuff was in the episode itself, I doubt I would have wanted to watch a longer version of that. Well, maybe I would have tried it eventually just to find out if Brian and Sally were still together. (laughs) Until this podcast, I never knew that Badge was the last episode in the original run. For years, I had assumed it was Night Shift, as it's the final one on the Season 5 DVD set. I agree that Night Shift would have been a more fitting finale. I mean, come on, the tale of Badge was such a lackluster... Yeah, I think I'm done bashing this tale. I'm going to give Badge a little break with my negative criticisms. In the immortal words of Gwen's mom, I'm not a total ogre. Rating, one Krebs star. Are you afraid to name the episode? The Tale of Gwen, the Teenage Setterwind. <laughs> That's a good name. Uh, sincerely, Jake the Snake. Seriously, this was my nickname growing up. <laughs> well, thanks, Jake. Uh, yeah, that was good. And good points, of course. I think yeah. his um, like rundown of what happens in Badge like made more... It, it was like it was a lot more coherent than uh, the actual episode. Like suddenly oh, just listening sure. to him, his beats for the episode, I was like, oh yeah, that is all the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, well, we appreciate it. Um, well, Andrew, what are we up to next? Uh, next time we're going to talk to Melanie Chartoff, uh, voice actor, you know her as D.D. Pickles on Rugrats, um, yeah. among many other things yeah she has a new book coming out um called odd woman out and uh you know she she does broadway and uh she was on a whole bunch of stuff in the 90s uh including not only rugrats but like seinfeld and um a whole bunch of stuff so uh we're we're excited to get to talk to her about her time on rugrats and you know what it was like to work on that show so uh, if you're interested in that that'll be next week um in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, we're on Instagram uh, at Orange Couch Podcast. We're on Twitter at BOC Podcast. You can email us like uh, Jacob did at Orange Couch Podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell somebody. Uh, these are all helpful ways to uh, support the podcast. And um, Jace, I mean, seriously, thank you so much. Uh, another, another iconic story. Uh, in the books 
Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, total, total pleasure for me. Appreciate the invite. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, uh, we'll see all you guys next time. Yeah, here's your future! Today's adventure. Oh, here we go. oh, do we get Polaris? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, right there. <laughs> Excuse me.